Rollins Cross is one of Canada's most accomplished and beloved Celtic bands and it was formed on St John's, Newfoundland in the late 1980s by songwriting brothers Dave Panting who plays the guitar and mandolin and Jeff Jeff Panting who's on keyboards and accordion and they dragged in Ian McKinnon on the Highland Pipes and the Ten Whistle and uh, they've been on the road as they announced since 1980 and they're coming back to Ottawa on the 2nd of May they'll be at Centrepoint Theatre at 8pm and they'll be able to get tickets at Centrepoint Theatre start SEA for that and I have Dave on the phone he's going to give me a little bit of history on the formation of the band and uh, some, of the, some of your past Dave thanks a million first of all for agreeing to have a chat Oh, no problem, Austin. Glad to do it. What brought you guys together? Well, I say I met Ian McKinnon in, in 1985. Uh, he was studying in Memorial Univ- at Memorial University. Uh, Rita McNeil was still doing the bar circuit then, and uh, she played in a place in St. John's called the Fishing Admiral, and she had some guys from Nova Scotia with her. Uh, there was a house party at a friend of mine's, and all the expat Nova Scotians were sort of uh, gravitating to that party, and uh, we went over to say hi to the guys in the band. We were sitting around table jamming, and I'm uh, the gentleman who was playing the tin whistle. And I mentioned uh, we got talking about bagpipes and uh, all Celtic music and all that. And um, he said, "You know, I'm a piper too." I said, "Well, I've got a couple of songs I always wanted to try pipes out on." And uh, I arranged a meeting with him, and lo and behold, not only could he play the pipes, but he could really play the pipes. He turned out to be amazingly good. And uh, Jeff and myself and Ian started playing together as a folk trio at that point, and we were doing traditional stuff pretty much. Uh, and then we made a conscious move to uh, move into original material, much against the advice of a lot of people, but they turned out to be totally wrong because it wasn't until we did that that we started garnering some attention. So that was around, you know, 85 to the late 80s, and we, Rollins Cross became Rollins Cross in 88 or 89 or 88, I guess. We, we started out as uh, something called, well, we had a trio that didn't really have a name, and then... Uh, something called the Open Road Band for a minute there, and then a friend suggested Rollins Cross. Rollins Cross is an intersection in St. John's downtown where a whole bunch of streets come together. Uh, it was also um, uh, it was named after a Scottish doctor who actually lived at, at that crossroads, um, Dr. Rollins, so that's where the name came from. Now, you mentioned that when it was when you started getting into your own music and, and composing that you really kind of were able to establish yourself. Um, for an awful lot of groups, they tend to spend their careers doing covers. And as you said, when you, you really got into your own stuff, that was when you were able to establish your own identity. Did you feel that the establishment and the creation of your own identity was very important from a long-term perspective? Well, I did because uh, I'm a writer and creative person by nature. So, I mean, for me, I really I kind of had no choice but to have a go at that. I've been writing uh, since I was a teenager with, you know, varying degrees of success and uh I, I'm always driven to do that, so I, I, yeah, I just really couldn't see any other way to go. I couldn't envision myself doing, uh, you know, covering other people's songs. Now, having said that, I, we have all done a lot of, uh, do a lot of traditional music and things that could be called covers, and uh, that in itself I have nothing against. But I also couldn't predict the positive outcome either. It wasn't a band that I would have put together to say, oh, this is the band that will, you know, start... Uh, getting business, building up business. It just happened. And it might be a, a, a question of being in the right place at the right time. I think the public was ready for it, that's all, at that point in time, you know. Because that, uh, shortly after that, of course, Rita uh, 
became very uh, well known and very famous, um, and uh, then that was quickly followed upon by people like the Rankins and ourselves, and then of course Newfoundland, Great Big Sea, I guess would be the top of that heap as far as business goes coming out of Newfoundland. They they took it to a whole other level that way. And then of course around that time, Buddy Wazza's name would also have been getting on the road. Oh well, yeah, those guys. The boys, Kevin and them, I mean, they're a force to be reckoned with in that they always kept things very, uh, they knew their audience and they knew who they were playing for. Also, they were always very accessible and they were, well, they're, they're basically very smart guys who conducted their business really well and worked like Trojans and, uh, you know, ended up with the success they had, which is well-deserved, you know. Now, Kevin and the boys, in a way, uh, you would say, as you said, they know their audience, and their audience, in many ways, would be the expat Newfoundlander. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that at all. Yeah. Whereas you would say your your audience is far more eclectic. Yeah, we felt. Yeah, well, I felt that we, you know, we crossed the Gulf. I mean, you know, even the the great act of uh, working, starting to work with guys from Nova Scotia, as opposed to a lot of you know, moving out of the Newfoundland and sort of expanding. You know, uh, across the Gulf, as it were, you know, interprovincial, multinational corporation there. And uh, then bringing in people like Brian Bourne, uh, who I had met when he was working up in Ontario many, many years ago, but we sort of kept in touch and gradually changing the lineup and bringing people in, you know. Then, Dave, did you notice much of a difference in the subtleties? of music between the different regions. In other words, like between Newfoundland, be it the east coast of Newfoundland, the west coast of Newfoundland, then when you get into Nova Scotia, PEI. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh gosh, yes. I mean, sure, I mean, we could sit here all day and talk about the various, the, the regions even within Newfoundland. And I mean, you know, there are obvious uh, common roots, of course, you know, but there's there's also a lot of... Uh, a lot of unique differences. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll get things a little less so now, perhaps, because of the availability of media and, and so on. But even even uh, when I started out 45 years ago, 40, 45 years ago, I mean, you know, it was, you were still people were still a little more isolated. Um, and now, of course, we have the best of both worlds. I guess you can you know you can kind of pick and choose. But uh, I could certainly say that if you went around Newfoundland uh, in the early 70s and so on, you would see you would still see total differences in the regions. You know, Scots in the Codroy Valley, you know, this, this very simplified estimation of it, but then you would have um, the French fiddling out of Port-a-Port, and, uh, you know, our end of the island here in St. John's has a big Irish influence. There's a huge British influence, where a lot of the songs are have British background, as well as all the locally written stuff, and, and various dialects and, and different ways of speaking and all that, you know, and, and that's just Newfoundland. Then you go to Cape Breton, you have uh, <coughs> one of the only places that have really kept up Scottish Gaelic. And, you know, uh, just term, I, I shouldn't insult people in Cotteray Valley by saying that, but, you know, that's they're sort of all the same people, and, and they they have that Scottish Gaelic tradition as well. I mean, the last indigenous Irish Gaelic speaker in St. John's died in his 90s there not too long, a few years ago. Uh, so, you know, we never really had that thing that Cape Breton has of keeping up that tradition in that way. And yes, the great thing is that the language, there's a great revival in in uh, Cape Breton as well. Yeah. I'm not sure that it ever went away, you know. Um, in, in certain places, like, for instance, Port-a-Port, I mean... It, they were French people, and, and in many cases, people came and they tried, they, well, basically, they had the French beaten out of them. Um, you know, and I mean, I say that with no hesitation. Uh, 
there was there's a lot of examples of that. Uh, people in the Cadre Valley, there's still Scottish Gaelic speakers down there, and they're sort of related to the folks in Cape Breton, I guess. But well, we <coughs> totally, I guess, lost Irish Gaelic pretty much on our end of the island. Although, of course, you can hear it in the in the accents and the lingo that's uh, on the Avalon Peninsula in Newfoundland. You know, you still hear the Irish influence in no uncertain terms, for sure. <laughs> but and I know it's down. I know it's down the Bay of Bulls direction and down the south. Oh yeah. Yeah, very strong. So, Southern yeah, Shore, yeah. There you are. You mentioned something there about technology. In many ways, technology, though, is not a mixed blessing because, you know, while you said that the traditions would have been very strong and deep-rooted locally and that technology allows that to travel the world effectively, but is the danger not vice versa because of technology that that what was a uniqueness is being diluted by uh, outside influences being able to access the ears of the locals so easily. Well, this is it. I mean, well, for one thing, I mean, Newfoundlanders, people say, well, you know, Newfoundland always had, you know, the accordion was popular. The accordion became popular because you had a band like the McNulty family, who were, I guess, Irish, maybe based in New York, coming up to uh, to play, and all of a sudden, people went, oh, that's a good thing to play. I mean, Newfoundlanders are like everybody else. If they see something they like. I mean, the bazooki was not prevalent in music. Now it's sort of a big thing in Irish music, and you see a lot of guys on George Strait. Uh, the, the Irish guys started using Greek bazooki to play their music. Um, it got proliferated, and now you have Newfoundland bands who take it for granted that you can have a large mandolin-like instrument. And I mean, that was not always so. I guess in certain respects, the guitar is not really a, a traditional Irish instrument. But of course, it, it became very popular because it's it's the guitar and it, it suits itself to so many things, you know. I think the old Cayley bands, they didn't use guitar. I mean, you know, you had piano and snare drum and but but now, I mean, in, in so, you know, I don't know what you could say about that. I, it, I'm a bad person to ask about that, really, because I'm probably as guilty as anyone of, of mixing different genres and, and trying out a whole lot of different things. I'm certainly not a purist in that respect, and I do tend to cherry-pick things that I like. Although I try to have respect for things, I try to learn the basic thing before I, I don't take it for granted where these things came from, you know, and that, that's about the best I can say personally, I guess. I guess I suppose what I'm saying in a way then it puts a really much heavier burden or onus on you as a composer and creator to um, retain the listener locally as well as to expand it. Correct, yeah. But they just... Pe- People are going to do what they want to do. I mean, the public, they have so much access to things. I mean, when you look at country and western music, I mean, the Americans came to Newfoundland during World War II, uh, set up basses. People began to get into the jazz music, swing music, uh, the stuff that they were going to dances. They equate that music with good times, Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, war times for Newfoundlanders, in a weird way, uh, there was the backside of it, of course, was money and good times and employment and you know so that so um country music uh is something that and i know in in places like ireland i mean country is very popular it, it's it's down-to-earth music and of course you know way back it's related to irish music you know through bluegrass and all that i'm a big believer in you know each country having being a bridge to somewhere else and uh you know and your point about technology, I guess it's just, we're you know, it's globally smaller. And these things are going to happen, and some things are going to become less relevant, and I don't know what you do about that. Now, the other thing I noticed, Dave, is that there's like one of your CDs there, Celtic Instrumentals, 
uh, was a, a CD of instrumentals and yet you know um, you, you cut across insofar as you have uh, vocals and uh, so you have a wide range of the style that you have incorporated into your uh, portfolio. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, this is what Rollins Cross was all about. We tried a lot of experiments, you know. <coughs> We're prolific. We tried a bunch of different things, you know. Uh, we threw some spaghetti at the wall. Some of it stuck. Some of it was proved to be really didn't really stand the test of time. But we tried a whole lot of different things, which is what I always wanted to do until you find, you know, we found certain things that had, you know, the the most depth to them. And that's, you know, that's what we, we stuck with, I guess, in our sound. But we've had a crack at so many. I mean, within the membership of our group, we've got six guys there with, with just uh, a, you have a guy like Ian, who's very traditionally trained guy and very good at that. Uh, you know, uh, a world-class piper, open competition piper, who also is a great bore on a whistle player. You've got a guy like Joe, who's educated at, you know, uh, St. of X, who's jazz trained. You have a guy like Brian, who's an old school, you know, rocker from the early 70s. And then you got a guy like me who started with rock and, and learned how to play the acoustic guitar first, got into rock, um, but always loved, always grew up listening to Irish music and, you know, uh, through my parents and so on, and always had that love of that and grew up in St. John's. You've got Howie, who's a jazz trained drummer. Uh, you know, uh, you just have that that mix, and my brother Jeff, you know, and I have the same kind of, uh, you know, the same kind of background, I guess. Which I suppose is the richness that you all go, when you come together as a group. That's part of the richness. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, there's just, just a lot going on there. I mean, just you know, sometimes we we kind of what are we doing? But I mean, you know, and as we get older, we get you know we're, we tolerate. You know, there's tolerance for different things. There's music that I did not enjoy when I was a youngster because some uh, sometimes because I was just ignorant of what I was hearing. You know, and uh, you know, I went, as I got older, I began to appreciate the efforts that people were making to put their music together, which I may not have understood. I mean, I always say that for one thing, I didn't really know much about was jazz and brass. St. John's was never a town with a lot of big brass bands and things like that. That we were sort of more of a traditional music and, and a guitar town. If bands, you know, there was a lot of kind of guitar style bands around. And there's a bit, not saying that there weren't any horn players, but it wasn't something that you, you, not as much as other places would be. So I didn't kind of grow up. I never would have liked a band, for instance, like I didn't really like the 70s horn bands. Like, I didn't, you know, I'm Blood, Sweat and Tears or something, I might have enjoyed it, but I didn't really understand it all that much, you know. And I, I kind of like... Yeah, I kind of like always like roots music, and my parents had a bunch of, had a really eclectic eclectic record collection, and uh, which I I think to this day is is responsible for a lot of the musical schizophrenia, if you will, that Jeff and I uh, display. You know, just as you say that, Dave, I'm trying to picture and with difficulty a brass uh, section in a Kelly band, and it just doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, I mean, although they have used it, I mean, you have bands like, uh, well, you've got the Irish-American bands. you got bands like uh, John Carty and, and uh, At the Racket, those guys, where you're using sax and you're using, you know, but but it's, you know, it brings an American thing to it. I think, you know, there's just kind of a place for everything, I guess, <laughs> you know, it's, and it's a matter of subjectivity, too. I mean, it's a matter of what you personally like yourself, and I've kind of learned to go, well, I like that, I don't like that, and you know, and kind of not apologize for it, but, you know, 
You know, I, I don't know. To me, I'm not a genre guy. Like, if I hear something and someone's playing and it's it's good and it strikes me, that's all I have to go on, really. I don't go... Uh, there's not as many rules, maybe, in my world as there are in some people's world as, as to what you should be doing and what should be happening. There are things that are wrong, and you kind of know, at least wrong to my ear. And you know, But, of course, you, you grow musically and you get educated and... You know, at least you maybe you know what you're listening to, so you can make a choice and not dismiss things out of hand either. You know. So 19th of April, you guys are heading out on the road. I see you have a big tour. Yep. Um, you're yep. start opening in St. John, New Brunswick. Yeah. Well, let me see. We got St. John. Let me make sure I got this straight. We got St. John, Moncton, Charlottetown, Pictou, uh, Nova Scotia, Sydney, Nova Scotia, Truro, Fredericton, uh, coming your way, Ottawa, Alora, Ontario which is where our drummer Howie lives, and uh, the Riverfest goes on up there, too. And uh, Toronto, we're doing Hughes Room, taking a, a, a wee break there, and then going back to Nova Scotia and doing Halifax and Liverpool and Annapolis. Uh, we'll be doing Canso, the San Rogers Festival, this year. We'll be doing Riverfest in Alora, Ontario, later on. <coughs> so that's our first stint. Anyone that's looking for information on those gigs, you can get it on RollinsCross.com website. Whereas if you want, uh, you'll get a link under the shows if you want tickets to any one venue. And again, reminders, particularly of the Ontario ones, Ottawa is on the 2nd of May, and that's at Centre Point. Uh, Alora's on the 3rd of May, and uh, that's at Alora Brewing Company. And then you're in Hughes' room live on the 4th of May on Friday. Uh, right. And you'd be exhausted at that stage, so you're heading home for a few days. <laughs> They're working us like like dogs. <laughs> Indeed. My God, it'll be nice to be out on the road doing a whole bunch of runs in a row, I can tell you, because the band will be tighter by that point. By the time we get Ottawa, we should be a pretty good show. And do you find, actually, when you mentioned that, when you get out on the road on a tour like this, um, I guess the adrenaline starts building and, and builds up as the tour goes on. Yeah, you get more into it. Uh, I think we're, we've got a, things like we, we'll probably have a couple of solo features during, like you probably get to hear him play the, the pipes on his own and so on. And um, we try to have a couple of things like that and maybe keep a, a spot open where we rotate different songs through. Because we've got more songs than we can play in, a, in an average night. So, Plus we have this new stuff, which we're putting forth and... Uh, Hopefully people are going to like that. Speaking of the new stuff, we're going to play one of the tracks from the new CD. There you go. And I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, which track should we go with? I think we'll go with Rocksteady. It's uh, what the tour is called. And uh, we're, yeah. we're looking forward to seeing you here in Ottawa. The 2nd of May, centerpointtheaters.com yeah. or .ca is where you get the tickets. Uh, you can get the box office there. And that is a Wednesday night. And if you're out there in Alora, it's Thursday. And then Friday in Toronto. And again, visit RollinsCross.com to get full details of all the gigs and links to where you can get the tickets. Dave Panting, thanks a million for taking the time to have a chat. And we look forward to being at Centerpoint. Excellent. Great to talk to you, Austin. Thank you.